Hi there, this is Lisa Wilcox listening to Rocktober on Rock Video Rental. Hey everybody and welcome to Rock Video Rental. We are continuing on with the Elm Street series and we are on Elm's Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. It is directed by Chuck Russell and the plot for this one is a psychiatrist familiar with the knife-wielding dream demon Freddy Krueger helps teens at a mental hospital battle the killer who is invading their dreams. That's worded so weirdly. Like, did you really need to say a psychiatrist familiar with Freddy? You could have just said Nancy Thompson. Yeah, Nancy Thompson <laughs> returns as a psychiatrist to help kids dealing with nightmares with Freddy Krueger. Yeah, like the last of the Elm Street children. Yeah, but you're not yeah. supposed to know that. Yeah, I guess. Anyway, we got the cast here. We got Robert England returning as Freddy Krueger. Heather Camp comes back as Nancy Thompson. We got Patricia Arquette in her debut as Kristen. Uh, Craig Wasson as Neil Gordon. Ken Sagos as Kincaid. Rodney Eastman as Joey. Jennifer Rubin as Taryn. Bradley Gregg as Philip. Ira Heidman as Will. Lawrence Fishburne in an early role as Max. Penelope Sudrow as Jennifer John Saxon returns as Lieutenant Thompson, and we get Priscilla Pointer as Dr. Sims. There's a lot of characters in this one. Mm. It's kind of an ensemble cast, I guess. Yeah. There's a lot of main characters. Uh, this one is always one of my favorites. It's got... It doesn't take itself too seriously. and kind of leans into the campiness of the series. And I I feel like this one had a nice balance of that. And as farther on we go, it kind of leans more towards the campiness. But I guess you'll see when we get farther into it because you haven't seen any of these. <laughs> but this one I feel like does a pretty good balance. Uh, Freddy's still kind of menacing. but um, Kind of? Kind of, yeah. He's a little over the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's a little over the top. Like Stallone in 87, which is the same year this came out. So Ooh. who did it first? <laughs> <laughs> Answer that. Who did it first? Who did it better? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Let's just dive right into it. Um, things I thought were good is the soundtrack because it's got kind of like the glam metal soundtrack with a, the theme Dream Warriors by Dokken. Nice. I, you're you're I, rocking with Dokken. I like the uh, subtle homage that pays to Stranger Things in there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I did recognize the uh, the connection there that you mentioned when we talked about Stranger Things before, that there were some uh, Nightmare on Elm Street things that they kind of uh, pulled from. Yeah. So... Yeah, no, this one was interesting. It was uh, not to step back too far, 
into previous conversations, but this one would have made a lot more sense as a part two movie. Yeah. Than what we got last time. So, yeah, that was a, yeah, the last one was went so far off the rails and they kind of like tied it back up a little bit with this one. Mm-hmm, this yeah. might be one of the best number threes in a series because we've talked about it before how like the third movie is usually pretty terrible like ninja turtles three yeah where this one is i i feel like i could i you know i've been saying it for years i think this is probably the second best movie in the in the series some people think it's the best one okay yeah but i don't know the original one to me is always the best fuck but yeah, I would say it's probably one of the best number threes in a series. Um, but it's got so many good things going for it. I mentioned like the soundtrack is really solid. Um, Patricia Arquette was pretty decent. I mean, I think she was like amazing, but you can definitely see she had talent. And I mean, this is like her first movie. So there's some times where she's pretty strong. Other times with like, it's either the dialogue she was given or the delivery she gave was a little clunky. Yeah, I thought for the most part, the acting in general with this one was pretty flat. Yeah. Like, no one really... Because, like, in the first one you had, um, who was it, Lisa? I think it was, and Johnny Depp. You know, they did okay. They did pretty good. They they had they were strong characters. Um, Tina? Tina. Yeah, Tina in the first one. Okay. Oh, Lisa. Amanda Weiss. Yeah. Lisa, you're tearing me apart. You're um, tearing me apart, Freddie. <laughs> um, and then the second had had some uh decent performances, but this one, like everybody was just kind of like meh, you know, nothing nobody really stood out or above the crowd. I mean, uh Lawrence Fishburne was honestly maybe one of the better ones. Yeah. I thought Craig Wasson was pretty decent. As um, Neil Gordon, yeah, he usually he, puts in a pretty decent performance and stuff. But I mean, John Saxon is always really good at playing a cop. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like his niche. Yeah, well, John Saxon, I kind of forgot about because it was such so short lived. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he did uh pretty good. But yeah, so I wouldn't. I don't. I can't for me personally come out and say too much about the acting overalls at being a big positive for it. But I also don't want to come out and say it's a big negative either. So it's really down the middle of the road for me, of course, outside of Robert England himself. Yeah. I thought the most entertaining character in the whole thing was Kincaid. I mean, he was funny. He was um, kind of brash and just a little arrogant. Yeah, I was totally ready for him to get killed. So, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, because it was just why? Because he's the black guy. <laughs> well, there was part of that stereotype where I was just like, oh, black guy's gonna die. But also from the aspect of you know him just antagonizing Freddy so much, yeah. I'm just like, okay, Freddy really wants to kill this guy because he's like basically calling him out yeah he's he's talking trash to him and everything uh and talking about the characters in this i thought one of the best things is how each kid has like their own power 
and like the characters that they have they're actually like built out so you actually care if they live or die Mm -hmm. which that hardly ever happens in slasher movies usually it's like but you think about it like think about friday 13th part five it's like oh here's 40 people for jason to kill (laughs) you know nothing about them you might know their name but they're just there to rack up the body count yeah no they they definitely did do a pretty good job with that uh like getting you invested in everything so i will give them that credit yeah that was one of the things i really enjoyed at this movie even like one of the first times i saw it, it was just like i like how each character has their own personality um you know there's other ones like you know with philip he's like the first one to die so you don't really get any kind of attachment to him mm-hmm. but other ones you get you know the nerdy guy with the wizard master <laughs> uh and then um Taryn was always a really memorable one with you know the punk look and all that um she's an ex-junkie and you get kind of like how she had kind of like a rough upbringing and that's kind of the reason why she's at the institute she's at but yeah i just love how every character had a personality and a backstory Mm -hmm. um and again robert england as freddy krueger was awesome yeah he definitely went more freddy in this one yeah the because I, I even remember before watching any of these, you talking about kind of Freddie's personality on just being a well, basically like an SOB and a jerk to everybody and like just foul, nasty, <laughs> right? So. And gets into creative kills too, mm-hmm. which is another thing that this series is kind of known for. It wasn't just, um. Like Halloween, I feel like it's got some of the least creative ones. Scream has got the least creative ones. It's like you get stabbed with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, that's I it. Um, and like this one, it has a little more fun with it. And, the, you know, Freddy can shape shift and all that kind of stuff. So that makes it a little more interesting. There's different rules set out for it and all that. So it's not so cliche. But um, I guess I can get into the kills now that I'm talking about it. Um, I mentioned Philip was the first one to go, and that one's really creative. <laughs> he gets his tenons ripped out, mm-hmm. and he gets walked like down the hallway and out, out of the window like a marionette. Yeah, that's one thing too. Like even in early high school, like junior high, we would talk about the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, and everybody like, oh, remember the the one guy that got walked down the. Um, hallway by his tenons <laughs> like a puppet yeah that was what everybody always remembered that and freddie bursting out of jesse's body in part two mm. yeah definitely creative well done and everything gave me uh it was a little cringe for me because some of the, some of those things are uh, like the the one i go back to all the time where it was just like a little bit too much for me, uh, but hostile when they slice the tendon on the oh. back of the person's legs. Yeah. I was just like, uh, like, oh, mm, and uh. they just fall down because they can't walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's brutal. That was, that made me think, uh, this made me think of that. And this one, I kind of 
understood more because there was a purpose behind it. And so it it was done very effectively. Yeah, slicing the Achilles tendon happens also in Pet Cemetery. Just a heads up on that. Oh, cool. <laughs> Peachy. Yeah. See, with me, it's like eye stuff. I can't see eye stuff. Mm. But um Are you are you that bad where if somebody touches their eye around you? Oh uh, no, I don't worry about that. But like getting your eye gouged or cut, it's just like uh, <laughs> it's kind of gross. Uh so the next person to die was Jennifer. And Freddie takes the form of a TV, grabs her and slams her head into it. <laughs> and I mean, we'll get to that when we talk about scenes because that's memorable for a few reasons. <laughs> well, I just love it too, where it's just like they go on and they're like, kids are committing suicide. It's just like, who the heck commits suicide by jumping up into a TV? Where I know that always makes me laugh. It's like, does she have a trampoline that she's just bouncing off from and diving into it? Yeah, like, I mean, come on. At that point, people have to be like, okay, this is, we need to start questioning that maybe the, these were not suicides. Like, come on. Yeah. Um, And then Taryn, she gets, Freddie turns his fingers into needles and injects her. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's pretty creative and effective. Um, And then Will gets stabbed in the chest with Freddie's glove. Um, Lieutenant Thompson gets impaled through the back um, in a junkyard and then Nancy gets stabbed in the in the stomach with the knives too so yeah that one was a little bit sad Nancy. I thought she was going to make it yeah disappointing but maybe she deserved it because she did basically get everybody else killed there at the end <laughs> she just put everybody in danger the whole time <laughs> Yeah, she's like, let's uh, let's go in together, and then they all get separated. All right, good job. Yeah. Uh, so I guess scenes. Um, one of the ones I always remember, other than the guy getting walked on this hallway, um, is when Joey gets tied up by the nurse, <laughs> like she shoots the tongues out, yeah, of her mouth, and yeah, I always remember like her seducing him and then of course she gets topless and that's that's the first time there's any kind of nudity in a nightmare on elm street movie did you notice that really well, i guess well the first one i guess you get like a quick glimpse of a boob when nancy gets pulled under the water in a bathtub okay when heather langham's body double pops up <laughs> yeah i thought there was i thought there was something in the first one this i was trying to think when that when this scene that you're talking about right now came up i was just like oh i can't remember if there was anything in the second one yeah that's a like a quick glimpse but this one is it kind of lingers more on it and i mean it's kind of product of its time but yeah um that one's effective um i like the stop motion skeleton fight yeah, that they I had, had that with, like, down. Freddy skeleton that remind me of Ray Harryhausen, and that's just awesome. Jason <laughs> and the Argonauts, and yeah, that that's whole... Ray Harryhausen special effects. Yeah, um, I, it it was really weird. Like when it happened, I was just like, mm, I don't know. I'm always for stop motion. Anytime somebody uses stop motion, I'm for it. Oh yeah, no, I I like it, but in the context of this movie and what was <laughs> going on, I was kind of like, should I be okay with this? Like. We're getting a little far fetched here. Like last and the time. answer is yes. You should <laughs> last, be okay with it. 
last time Freddy like transformed into Jesse's body, and now this time his skeleton is able to walk around. Oh, dude, you just wait until he gets resurrected in the fourth one. I'm really interested to see what you think of that. I have a feeling I'm not going to be too happy. So ridiculous. Um, And I will say, too, that did you know that Nightmare on Elm Street 4 was directed by Rennie Harlan? No, I did not. The guy who directed Die Hard 2. (laughs) So, yeah, it's interesting. Um. There's a quote from Tara that cracks me up. So Nancy's like explaining why the kids are seeing Freddy and like he was a child murderer and when he died it became something worse. And then it's like our parents burned him alive. It's like your parents are part of that too. You're the last of the Elm Street children. And then Will's like he's like mom and dad. He's like no never. It makes no sense. And then he's like why wouldn't why wouldn't they ever say anything? And then Taryn's like, oh, yeah, that's really something they're going to say, like, for a bedtime story. Good night, darling. Sleep tight. And oh, by the way, your father and I torched some maniac. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, that always makes me laugh. Um, and Jennifer Rubin, too, is someone who's really, like, embraced her role in this movie. And she goes to, like, um, Comic-Cons and, like, fan expos and stuff. And she loves like talking with fans and everything about it. I actually saw our, our buddy Jeff Beers um posted a picture with her at one of the Comic Cons. Nice. So yeah. Pretty cool. Um I got something about her in a trivia and Vax too. It's kind of interesting. But uh yeah the last thing I feel like we need to talk about is um the character of Jennifer's death. Where she's sitting there watching TV. And uh, Freddy turns to the TV and he drops a classic line of welcome to primetime, bitch. And then slams her head in the TV. <laughs> and that's the first time, I believe, that Freddy says bitch in the entire series. And it became kind of his catchphrase. I don't think it was. I swear he said it in the last one. It's possible i think he called jesse's girlfriend person a bitch yeah i'm trying to think of when though like towards the end when they were fighting in the power plant area but i could be wrong i didn't even think about it until this time i feel like it i feel like it should it's got to be documented somewhere (laughs) right uh i will have to here's a here's a a super cut from bloody disgusting of every time he said bitch <laughs> in chronological order. Maybe. I don't know. Um, I'll get back to it. And when we do the next episode, All right. um, so, yeah, so I don't know. If, I know you watch Rick and Morty. Did you see the one where they kind of aped Freddy Krueger with scary Terry? Um, probably. I feel and like I watched all of them. It seems like he uses the word bitch for like a period. <laughs> he just like says it all the time. <laughs> like that that episode really made me laugh. That was probably one of my favorite ones, but not talking about Rick and Morty here. We're talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. But uh maybe things that weren't so good. The origin story. Yeah. Well, I know you had something to say about that, the 
son of a hundred maniacs. Yeah, like it's like a hundred men can't make one kid. Yeah, don't no matter how many times I, you do that, that doesn't exactly work. I think what they're saying though is it was one of the one hundred men. So it's like Yeah. But they but they don't really know who. So they're just saying like son of a hundred maniacs. Mm, I think you're giving them a benefit I, of a doubt there. I think the how they worded it was just poor yeah now (laughs) i get what they're saying yeah if if they had just kind of left it where it's just like she was raped over a hundred times and wound up being pregnant it's like okay i get that but then they were i really feel like they were going for that whole like oh well it was concepted with like a hundred guys getting in there and all All mixed together (laughs) you just made it do a freddy stew (laughs) <laughs> okay, this is disgusting. <laughs> it's horrible. Oh, uh, I, it, it was in my head, but I wasn't gonna say it. So oh, I went there. That's that's on you. And moving on. But yeah, the uh, origin. So the origin store in itself was just kind of like, uh, you know, I I did think the uh, what what they call the kids of the remaining kids of elm street or whatever they called it you know that that was kind of cool that was interesting i do have to say it was pretty stupid of everybody to not make the connection where it's just like oh hey you brought your crazy kid here too oh wow that's wild we were both parents that torched a guy in his basement or whatever how do they not know each other yeah like they they passed each other like dropping off their kids and then they didn't think about that that didn't come to mind yeah Hey, you remember when we torched that dude? Yeah, good times. Good times. <laughs> uh, uh, so, so that was good. Um, the origin story, not super pumped about. Um, and the whole like burying his body ritual thing. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was a little bit too early to try to. I, I mean, now of course, granted, they probably had no idea how many movies they were gonna make. But, you know, to come up with, I mean, because they're already on three movies. So, you know, they have good momentum and what they were ever two years or something like that. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, maybe pump pump the brakes a little bit. Maybe don't try to find a permanent solution to to killing him. <laughs> I did. I, I don't know exactly how I took it when you find out that the nun was his mom. I yeah. I was kind of like, oh, that was I didn't see that coming. And then at the same time when I was thinking about it, I was like, I don't know if I like that. <laughs> right. I don't know if we needed a ghost mom. Yeah. And go and ghost dad. <laughs> Not Bill Cosby. Ghost dad. <laughs> Yeah, no, that I I had that down because that kind of made me laugh a little bit. Where it's just like, okay, this is just a an attempt at a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling ending. At least they had him turn into Freddy and kill Nancy. That was the only way they could save that. Yeah, where he just like kind of goaded her into letting her guard down. Mm-hmm. But um, speaking of Nancy, I still think Heather Langenkamp isn't that great of an actor. Well, yeah, that's that's why I didn't have too much great to say about acting Some of in general. Line deliveries, like that, was that the best take they had? Uh, I don't know. Like, shake her up a little bit and see if you can like get some 
facial emotion movement going on there or something or maybe get her more inflection on her voice maybe <laughs> right uh, I, I, there's one line that now i just can't seem to think of a, it's the way she delivers it is, i don't know the, exactly what she says but it's something like they took the remains and they threw them away <laughs> <laughs> just like was that really the best she could have done with that and when she talks about how they burn freddie alive the way she like delivers that is just emotionless and mm-hmm. i yeah i don't know and then some of the other characters weren't they weren't like great actors but i mean they're kind of young actors so i kind of give it a pass like yeah. I don't have too much bad with this movie because I really do enjoy it. I feel like it's one of the funner entries. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Well, we already kind of talked about uh, the acting before, so yeah. Um, let me see what. Oh, it was kind of funny when they uh, introduced. Uh, Will wasn't he the one in the wheelchair? Yeah, I was just like. Why are there always people in wheelchairs in horror movies? Like Friday Thirteenth <laughs> did that, and uh, I swear there were some other ones that had some Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, the original one. Yeah, it had Franklin in it. And so it's just like, why do they do that to people? Like you're just giving them such a distinct disadvantage. Yeah, it's so it's so cruel. <laughs> I, I will have to say though, the the wheelchair. Friday the thirteenth was pretty awesome though. Yeah, the machete to the face. <laughs> uh that's always great. Um, so trivia and facts. So on the VHS release, uh the music video for Dawkins Dream Warriors appears after the credits. Uh the video contains many scenes from the movie and ends with the band vanquishing Freddy, causing him to wake up from his own nightmare and ask, Who the hell were those guys? <laughs> Please tell me that's not in the fourth movie. No. Okay, thank you. No, the, the fourth one, they were not rocking with Doc. And, oh, I also okay. have to mention, too, that... Um, let's see, do I have that in my notes? Because it was one of the things I had that I thought wasn't the best. Um, okay, yeah, I got it later on, so I'll, I'll cover that later. Uh, so the Freddy Glove... Um, that was stolen from the set of this film was found in another movie. It was hanging on the wall of a work shed in Evil Dead 2, what? which also came out in 87. It was a part of a continued banter between the directors Wes Craven and Sam Raimi. Um, they had back and forth with The Hills Have Eyes, Evil Dead, um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Evil Dead 2 where you can see either props or references or the movie playing in the background. Interesting. Uh, So the guy who played Kincaid stated in an interview that he really didn't want to audition for the role, but his agent talked him into going. Um, On the day of the audition, he walked in heavy rain to catch a bus to the location. He showed up completely drenched and had to sit and wait for a few hours uh, due to the auditions running late. When it was his turn, director Chuck Russell told him, do whatever you want to do. And um, Sagos, who played Kincaid, was so frustrated and mad about the whole ordeal that he just yelled, fuck you, at the top of his lungs. <laughs> and then proceeded to scream and curse out Russell. Uh, Russell loved it and immediately hired him. 
<laughs> which is hilarious. That is funny. Uh, so Wes Craven's original premise for the film involved Freddy invading the real world and haunting the actors and crew responsible for the first movie. What? Um, which was inspired by Return to Horror High, which is another meta horror movie at the time. Uh, however, this idea was rejected by the studio for being too ambitious. Um, though Craven would later use that in 1994 as Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yeah, that's a little. Did he keep it? Just go back to Freddy. Go back yeah. to classic. Understand <laughs> Fred, Freddy. Just stop. Yeah. So Jennifer Rubin was told by um, some of her fans that her character Taryn uh, had caused them to actually quit drugs, and the actress is very proud of the fact. Nice. Uh, for the dream sequence in which Dick Cavett interviews and and is interrupted by Freddy Krueger. Um, Sally Kellerman was originally in the script as the guest, but Cabot was um, then allowed to pick the person that he wanted to interview. He ended up picking Zsa Gabor because he, he thought she was the dumbest person that he had ever met in his life. Oh, no. Um, and he'd never have him on his real show. Um, so if there was one person he wanted to see killed by Freddy, it would have been her. Wow. <laughs> Which is just hilarious. Uh, so Robert Englund admits that he knew Patricia Arquette was going to be a big star one day. He also explained how all the guys on set seemed to be head over heels in love with her. And he said that between takes, some of them would actually go to England and get his advice on whether they should, they should or not thought he had, a, they had a chance with her and if they should ask her out. <laughs> I don't know why they would ask Robert England about that, but that's kind of funny. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I was just like, okay, like apparently he was close with them. I don't know. Yeah. So we didn't talk about this, which is kind of surprising because it's a pretty memorable part about the whole puppet scene. Um, we got the clay puppet with face turns into Freddy's. Mm-hmm. Um, this was a special effect done by Doug Beswick, and he used stop motion for it. Um, filming began with a clay Freddy face. Um, that was made plainer with each frame. The result was then run backwards, and that's what appears in the final cut of the film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I had down in my notes, it was funny, like, I had down, oh, the puppet scene was cool, and then that was before he did the tendon puppet part. Yeah. Puppet part, and I was like, oh, that was really intense, and so I completely forgot to mention that the <laughs> clay puppet was done so well. Yeah. Uh, so this is actually the first writing credit for Oscar-nominated writer and director Frank Darabont. Hmm. Uh, the original Freddy Snake, we didn't talk about that either, um, unintentionally came out looking way too phallic. <laughs> the crew had only one hour to film the scene, and they didn't have enough time to paint it, so it was covered in a green goo substance to overcome the pinkish hue. Uh, the scene involving the Freddy's sake attempting to swallow Kristen was also filmed backwards and then played in reverse due to the gums of the puppet being too flexible and they kept folding in over themselves. Hmm. So yeah, we did forget about that, didn't we? Yeah. At around 10 minutes when Taryn is first seen in the hallway, she's actually wearing a Dokken t-shirt nice. who I mentioned before performed Dream Warriors for the film. 
Uh, director Chuck Russell stated in an interview that the mirror sequence was very difficult to do. Uh, he stated that it was before like CGI mm-hmm. so that they had to um, get really inventive. They were literally manipulating Mylar in front of the camera to get the shot done. Hmm. So we don't know what Mylar is. It's like those shiny balloons. Yeah. Yeah, that material. Uh, so Winona Ryder auditioned for the role of Kristen, but Chuck Russell felt that um, Ryder was too young for the role. Ryder would later become engaged to Johnny Depp, who starred in the first movie. Mm. Uh, so Jennifer Rubin played the re- lead role in the movie called Bad Dreams. It's from 1988. That is a film seen as a derivative of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And that one was the one I was talking about earlier, where it's kind of funny because it's pretty much a ripoff of the, even like the cover of the VHS has her like trying to scream. And there's like this severely burnt hand covering her mouth. (laughs) (laughs) And I've watched the movie and it's not great, but it's not horrible. And she actually does a pretty good job in it. Interesting. Yeah. So the there's a track called The Quiet Cool by Jay Ferguson, um, which was also in the New Line Cinema movie Quiet Cool in 86, was used to replace Dawkins into the fire on the original VHS beta and Laserdisc releases, which when I watched this movie this time, I watched it on my beta. And yeah, I noticed that it didn't play into the fire at the beginning. Um, I'm assuming you streamed the movie. Mm-hmm. So, when she at the beginning, when she's Kristen's building the replica of Freddy's house, did it play the song "Into the Fire" by Dokken? Ooh, I <laughs> don't know what song was playing. Uh, yeah, I noticed that this time, and I'm like, "Wow, that's lame." That was one of the things I had in the bad, but it really only pertained to the release that I had. And the last thing I got here is the movie cost $4.5 million and it made 44.7 in the box office. Nice. All right. So let's just jump right into grades. I uh, pulled from IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. What do you think they are? Um, IMDb 5.9. It is a 6.6. Oh, wow. Big rebound. Um, is it, I may have seen this. Is it 58% for Rotten Tomato Critic? It is 68. Oh. Okay then. Maybe I was thinking something else. Um audience seventy-three? It is also a sixty-eight. Oh. I'm he... kind of surprised at that because I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that doesn't like this movie. Well, guess what? You're talking to one right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, I didn't. With that, I guess we'll get into our grades. Um I'll go first because I got more of a history with this one. But um it was an easy five out of five for me. Oh, <laughs> like it's one of my favorite ones to watch. Um, it's probably one of the most rewatchable ones in the series. It's one of the most rewatchable slasher movies. Period. Um, I'm a big fan of like '80s hair metal, and I know the song from Dokken. Every time that comes on the radio, I always turn it up. Like I think that um, Dream Warriors is probably played more on the radio than like people watching the movie 
Um, and they're both pretty popular, so that's really saying something. And the music video is pretty cool for it. Um, I had the original VHS release back in the day that has the music video at the end of it. I think my beta has it too. But um, I don't know. I like that they took time to build out some characters that you actually care about, which is a rarity in the slasher genre. And I like that they all had like their own powers and everything. So that was pretty cool. And it's kind of fun to watch a movie where you can look back and be like, wow, like this person started in this movie. So you got Patricia Arquette and Lawrence Fishburne both were in this and they went on to be like big name actors. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty cool to to look at too. And I, I like the idea that they brought Nancy back, even though Heather Langenkamp still is not like the greatest actor in this. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's just cool because she's other than Freddie, she's kind of the face of the franchise. Kind of like she's like the Jamie Lee Curtis slash Laurie Strode of this series. So it's nice to see that they brought her back. But what about you? Rock. Well, uh, definitely rebound from last time. So again, I don't have a lot of context. Uh, well, I don't really have any context on what is going to be coming with the future movies. So I didn't know how far to bounce back with this one because I went as far down as a three for part two. Yeah. And so I'm bouncing back to a four out of five for this one. Right. Um, definitely good. Um, I don't. I. I don't think there's really anything in this that would get me back to a five out of five. Um, like the original one, uh, you could, if I talk about it long enough, maybe watch it again, kind of look at it more closely. I could maybe get up to a four and a half, but um, just with how the acting was, uh, I'll just say kind of flat, you know, nothing spectacular, uh, nothing terribly wrong, <clears throat> but then also the origin story, and then the incorporation of the mom it, and also the weird burial, bone burial concept. Mm-hmm. Just a lot going on that was unnecessary in my point. We didn't even talk about the fact that it was so fortunate and ironic that they were in a mental hospital where Freddy Krueger was born <laughs> or conceived or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. Yeah, I've seen this movie so many times, so like countless times, and I yeah. never thought about that. And I just think of the weirdest things, apparently. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so that it's just like, oh well, that's convenient. But um, yeah, so you know, some things that leave a little bit to be desired. So I I feel good at four out of five. Uh, like I said, you could maybe talk me into four and a half, but I don't think there's really anything that I could see that would be a five quite a five out of five for me because still the first one's just uh so so classic and great yeah it was such an original idea Mm -hmm. but um i guess we didn't mention the fact that kristen's mom is kind of a piece of work yeah and every time she says on delay it's just like cringe (laughs) right (laughs) like who are you speedy gonzalez (laughs) like you're not even latin (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um yeah i mean i'd say the first the first one and the third one are probably my favorites um 
I mean, when we get done with the series, we'll do like we always do and kind of rank them. Um, I mean, that's kind of the way we've gone with all these. So did we do that for the classic reviews? I don't even remember like what our favorite one was to. Uh, yeah, I think we might have. I think we did. I think we yeah. kind of ranked them in order. I so. think we're smart enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to be continuing on again with the Nightmare on Elm Street series. Uh, we're going to be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street 4, the Dream Master, which is going to introduce the character of Alice, um, played by Lisa Wilcox, who was kind enough to do our shout out and answer question for us. So um, thanks again to her for doing that. Uh, And yeah, if you guys are liking this show, please like subscribe and share. Uh, Leave us a review. If you leave a review, we'll mention it on the show um, by name and we'll give you a shout out, but uh, check out, check us out on social media. We're on pretty much every platform. Uh, Check out our YouTube. I got lots of, other slasher movie stuff on there so if you're interested check it out and until then as always be kind and rewind